go ahead and do that and turn to Colossians and we are in chapter 4 and this morning we're going to be looking at verse 2 all the way through to verse 6. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. All right. I'm going to read. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. God our Father, We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear you. Father, we're thankful for you for many things. We're thankful for the fellowship we have with one another here um, through King's Cross Church. Father, we're thankful for you, for friends, for family. Um, for community and all of these good things, but mostly we are incredibly thankful that you have saved us and reconciled us to yourself. And so, Father, as we look at how we can help others know you, may you inspire us, may you encourage us, and we know you will challenge us, but as you challenge us, may you Remind us that you, through your spirit, will empower us to live the life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next week is our final um, week studying this letter Paul wrote to followers of Jesus in a first century city called Colossae. Although this letter, and we've seen it, was for a church back then, We've seen time and time again um, that it's very much applicable for us as a church in the 21st century. A few weeks ago, um, we began to see what our Christian faith should look like in our prominent relationships. Christians are called to represent Jesus in every area of their lives and at every stage in history. And so after addressing husbands and wives and children and parents and employers and employees, what Paul begins to do now is that he begins to transition from addressing individuals um, back to addressing the entire church. Think of the people you come in contact with each day. Your family, the people you work with, the students you study with, the men and women you work out with at your local gym, the dog owners, who has a dog here? Who owns a dog? No one? Oh, yes. The dog owners you chit-chat with at the dog park. Think 
of the parents. If you're a parent here, you see every day when you take your kids to school, think of the baristas at your favorite coffee shop or um, the countless people that you come across each and every day. Some of them you know very well, others you don't even know that well. What we would agree as Christians is that each and every one of those people need Jesus. Although we agree, most of us feel overwhelmed and inadequate when it comes to reaching out to those around us. And the thing that tends to happen is that we are unsure of where to start and what to say. This happened to me multiple times yesterday at my favorite place in the world, my home, no, Brick and Bell. No, it should be my home. Um, studying for this sermon, and it was an interesting day. Um, and it was an interesting day because this yesterday had to be the day where I had the most interest from strangers um, about my sermon, right? I had multiple people show a genuine interest in what I was going to preach today. And I never get that. I just never get that. And the interesting thing is, I've always said to myself, if I ever get opportunities like that, I will absolutely use it as a springboard to share the gospel. Yesterday and during this week, I've been in this funk, this weird place. I had multiple opportunities. But I didn't do a good job. People would ask me, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. What are you doing? I'm studying for my sermon. And what's your sermon about? Um, yeah, it's just about prayer and evangelism and all of those things. And I'm like, you know, I'm just thinking about it. Now and I'm like, man, normally I'd be like, yes, it's about prayer and the fact that people need Jesus and blah, 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 blah. But yesterday, I was such in a funk. I didn't do a good job. I was overwhelmed. I felt inadequate. And I was unsure of what to say and where to start and how to lead them to a gospel conversation. So in our passage for today, as Paul turns from addressing the household back to addressing the entire congregation, what we're going to learn and what we're going to be equipped with are tools on how to effectively reach people for Christ. Tools on how to effectively reach people for Jesus Christ. So, verse 2, Paul begins by urging the church in Colossae to do what? To continue steadfastly in prayer. Here, he's urging them to make sure that prayer is an integral part of their lives. He desires that they continue steadfastly in prayer and to make every effort to keep the discipline of prayer central in the life of their church. In a nutshell, he wants them to pray at all times. He doesn't only urge them to pray at all times, but he also helps them to know how to pray. He, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And as you pray, make sure that you're being watchful and thanksgiving as you're praying. Prayer that involves being watchful is prayer that is practiced with an alert mind. Okay? 
prayer that involves thanksgiving is prayer that comes from a thankful heart. After reminding the church to pray at all times and with an alert mind and a thankful heart, Paul requests that they pray for him and others that are involved in gospel work. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. Look at it with me. It says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul wants them to pray for him and his team that God may open to them a door for the word and Paul requests such prayer so that they may be able to declare the mystery of Christ. He also lets them know that the reason he is in prison is because of his allegiance to Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't only request prayer for boldness and to continue to tell people about the gospel that eventually got him jailed. He also wants them um, to pray for him so that, look at the end of verse 4, so that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So this is what's happening. In urging them to continue steadfastly in prayer and then requesting that they pray for him for some opportunities to tell people about Jesus, this is how this applies to us. He's reminding them of the importance of prayer as we seek to spread the gospel by public preaching or personal witness. Prayer is incredibly powerful and impactful. And the reason why prayer is powerful and impactful is because of who we're communicating with. As Christians, think about it. Every time you pray, you are interacting and engaging with the God of the universe. The God who knows everything and the God who sustains everything. The gospel is all about God. It is his gracious act in rescuing people who are helplessly trapped in sin, evil, and death. And while it's an incredible thing that God actually, the God of the universe, actually chooses to use us as his instruments to further and advance his gospel, we're not the ones who save, but God is the one who actually saves. Does that make sense to you guys? God is the one doing all the work, okay? Let me use, give you guys an illustration. The other day, my kids and I were around a campfire. I've been doing a lot of campfires recently, right? Our small group's doing one like tomorrow, and we're doing another campfire. But basically, um, we were doing the campfire thing, and we had some schmores. And, and Eden, right, she's a two, two-year-old, she thinks she can do everything. So she grabs one of the sticks, someone gives her a schmore, and she begins to try and um, roast a schmore. schmore. How do you pronounce it? S'mores. S not schmores. S'mores. <laughs> oh, thank you. I knew there was something wrong with how I was saying it. It's my accent. It's my accent. Um, anyway, so 
So she grabs one, starts to roast, and she just, you know, she's a kid. She's just flinging it everywhere, and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, you know, just incredible. And then what I do is I grab her, um, I put her on my lap, and I hold the small, and I do it with her, okay? And I'm keeping it, you know, I'm keeping it on the fire. I'm making sure it's not too burnt. And a few minutes later, we have this amazing, crispy, crunchy, soft, gooey s'more that she is enjoying, right? In her mind, right, she thought she did it, okay? But I was the one that really did it, right? And so we laugh and we think, oh, this is fine. But it's true, like, most of the time, when we accomplish anything for God's kingdom, what we think is, like, you know, we feel like we think we're the ones that did it. And if it weren't for us, it wouldn't happen. But the truth of the matter is, God is the one who's at work in us and through us. And He's using us and He's holding, and He's using us as instruments to accomplish His purposes and His will. And so, in view of the gracious act of God through us, we need to pray. Prayer has to be the first step we seek to help people know Jesus. A pastor who's got a church in Flagstaff said this. He said, before we talk to a person about God, it's important to talk to God about a person. Love, love Mexican food. You have to, right? If you live in San Diego, one of my favorite cuisines. Actually, you know, it goes Thai food um, and then, you know, Mexican food. Love Mexican. Love going into a restaurant. And the reason why I love going to a restaurant is before you begin, before your entree arrives, you get chips and salsa, okay? And I absolutely, I destroy chips and salsa. Like, I just keep ordering more. <laughs> like, you know, and it comes, and I'm just dipping it, just eating it. And I'm like, you know, before I'm even done, I call them over. I'm like, bring more, bring more, bring more. And I love it. It's the appetizer I really enjoy, all right? And so what tends to happen is that if you're like me, you eat so much chips and salsa, by the time the entree comes, you're not even hungry, right? And I'd love this stuff. The appetizer is amazing. You go to other restaurants that are not Mexican or, um, or you know, um, Cheesecake Factory or something, you get an appetizer and it's bread. And I love bread and I grab the butter and I put tons of butter on it and I'm eating. And before the bread is done, I order more. And before my entree comes, I'm full. I don't want anything else. Appetizers are an incredible gift, right, to the whole routine and process of eating. They really are. And so what tends to happen is that we try and view, what we tend to happen is we view, often view prayer as the appetizer when it comes to evangelism, right? It's something we do before, and the most important thing we do next is going out and talk, talking to people about Jesus. But I've come to believe, if you look throughout Scripture, that the practice of prayer is as impactful and as actually uh, as impactful as actually talking to someone about Jesus, okay? The spread of the message of Jesus is not only achieved by public preaching and personal witness, but also through prayer. Vance Pittman, who I love a lot, who has a church in Las Vegas, said this, we don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work. 
The work of mission is not just our ongoing engagement with people. It is also our constant engagement with God in prayer. It's both. In prayer, we ask God to do what we can never do. In prayer, we ask God to help people to see that, to see that there is more to life. There is more to life than climbing up the career ladder or working hard for an early retirement or exploring and experiencing all that the world has to offer. In prayer, we are asking God to help people see that Jesus Christ is king. Not, of, not just only of the world, but of their lives as well. When we pray, we're asking God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, to help people see that life only makes sense when Jesus Christ is front, front and center of their lives. This is why we need prayer. We need prayer because it's through prayer that God does some of his most impactful work. And this is why Paul, the apostle, think about it. Guy was super gifted, super educated. And what is he urging the church to do? He's urging the church to continue steadfastly in prayer. And guess what? He's not only um, telling them to pray often, but he's asking that they pray for him so that he is more effective in the mission God has called him to. Do you believe that the greatest need of every human being that exists on this planet is Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Do you believe that we're not here by accident, but God actually created us and gave us life for a reason? Um, do you believe that life's greatest joy, right, greatest joy comes from knowing the true, one true God of the Bible? Do you believe that our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven and cleansed and that only God can forgive us and that he made this all possible for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that by Jesus' death on the cross, He took upon himself the judgment that you and I deserve. Do you believe that Jesus is the only one that can provide true and lasting guidance and wisdom and comfort and hope when hard times come? If you believe that the greatest need for your friends and family and co-workers is Jesus, then you will commit to praying that God, by his grace and mercy, would save them. And so my question to you is, are you praying? Are you praying? Like me yesterday, just had a bad day being able to communicate the gospel. But what I was reminded of was that even if I was ineffective in sharing the gospel verbally, I can pray for those people. I can pray for them afterwards. Prayer makes all the difference. That is why the Apostle Paul, who was super gifted and educated, like I said, asked for prayer so that he may be effective. 
And so as a church, that is why we try our best to prioritize prayer. That is why once a month, right, the last Monday of every month, we have a prayer meeting. Because we believe that as the church comes together and commits to seeking God's face, God will do far more than we could ask or imagine. He really could. And I'm beginning to realize that it seems like there are some things God will only do when we pray. Right? It's incredible. Like I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God is in control of everything. But I also believe in the power of prayer. I also believe that God will absolutely do things only when we pray. And so I dare you to pray. I dare you to pray for your friends and family. I dare you to make a note. And every night, every morning, whenever, pray for them that they may be saved. I dare you to do that. And let's see what happens, right? As you know, Paul is the author of this letter to the first century church in the city called Colossae. He's writing from ancient Rome, and he's writing from a cold, dark prison cell. And the reason he's locked up in jail um, is because of his commitment and allegiance to Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. We've seen in verse 3 that he's asking for prayer, and he's asking for prayer for more opportunities to tell people about Jesus. We saw this in verse 3, right? And in doing so, he's displaying um, his commitment to the person and the message of Jesus Christ. And what is interesting is that you guys saw this. Let's look at um, verse 3 again. Let's read verse 3 again. It says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Here we go. This is what I want you to highlight. On account of which I'm in prison. On account of which I'm in prison. Paul is basically saying, pray that I have strength to continue to do the very thing that got me here in prison. It's an interesting thing. It's really interesting. Like Paul and so many other Christians, we must be prepared to experience the consequences of sharing our faith in a world that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we, I, I think we understand this, right? The more we integrate ourselves into our culture, the more we realize that the gospel, Jesus Christ himself, is actually becoming more and more irrelevant. And people are more and more hostile to the gospel. Paul spent a significant part of his ministry behind bars but what is encouraging about him is that he never stopped preaching. He never stopped writing. He never stopped encouraging churches. He refused to allow any obstacle to stand in his way. In the same way, suffering comes with living radically for Jesus. And as his disciples seeking to make disciples, we must be prepared to accept Oppression and persecution. In an interview with Will Willimon, Bishop Emilio Di Carvalho, 
from Angola, right? Angola is in Africa, all right? Speaks about the oppression his church experienced from the government. He said this. This is fantastic. Listen to what this bishop says. He says this. The government does what it needs to do. The church does what it needs to do. If we go to jail for being the church, we shall go to jail. Jail is a wonderful place for Christian evangelism. Did you hear that? Jail is a wonderful place for Christian evangelism. Our church made some of its most dramatic gains during the revolution when so many of us were in jail. In jail, you have everyone there in one place. You have time to preach and teach. Sure, 20,000 of our Methodist pastors were killed during the revolution, but we came out of jail a much larger and stronger church. It's an incredible we will encounter oppression because of our commitment to Jesus. We will experience setbacks in our efforts to spread the gospel. There will be times when it will become difficult. There will be times when quitting seems like the easiest and most logical thing to do. You may not be sentenced to jail for preaching the gospel, but... You may be disliked by your co-workers because of your faith. And I hope they dislike you, not because you're being a jerk, okay? Not because you're being, like, just rude when they're working. You're like, you're going to go to, you know, hell and, like, start talking. They're like, hey, we're at work, man. Leave me. No, you're going to hell. No, no, I just hope they don't dislike you because you're, you know, you're not being sensitive, okay? I hope that you're disliked because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. Know that your decision to follow Jesus will at times bring about much discomfort in this world. And no matter how attractive the option of giving up may seem, we must remain faithful. So, pray that you will have an open door for ministry to your community, that you will proclaim clearly the message of Christ and that you will carry on regardless of what stands in your way. With prayer and God's help, we cannot fail. So having asked the church to pray for his evangelistic efforts, what Paul begins to do is shift the attention back to them. We'll see that effective witness is not only based on prayer, but also on good conduct. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. The term outsiders is used for people outside the Christian community, for non-Christians, okay? The word walk here is a metaphor for a consistent way of life in heading in a direction. And the word wisdom, on the other hand, derives from an Old Testament word for skill. The book of Proverbs, which is a book made up of hundreds of short, clever sayings designed to teach every person how to live and act wisely, often draws a distinction between a wise person... All right, and the foolish person. It describes the foolish um, as the person who ignores or outright rejects God's commands about how to live lives 
and describes the wise as a person who lives lives who lives his or her life according to God's ways. So what it means for us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders is to live a life based on God's word so that the people we know who are not Christians will see the beauty of our lives. If our lives are governed by God's word, the people in our day-to-day spheres of influence will sometimes we'll see something positively different about us that arouses their curiosity. And it may be our hope in the midst of difficult situations. It may be our hard work and servant attitude. It may be our refusal to join in with gossip or complain. It may be our willingness to associate with those who have been relegated to the fringes of society. All that to say is that how we live amongst non-Christians and outsiders is incredibly important. What it also means is that you can't Say you're a Christian and profess to be a believer and live a completely weird and indifferent life to Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. What we say we are is how we should live. And so Paul here is saying, hey, guys, walk wisely. Walk in a way that communicates to people that who you say you are truly is reflected in how you live. In the culture we live in, where Christianity is viewed as irrelevant and altogether bad for society, that's becoming, have you guys been like seeing the cultural trend of um, how Christianity is viewed as an extremist kind of institution? We're seeing that more and more and it's getting worse where people are being more hostile because they just view Christianity as bad for society. Right? If you've been reading the news and being in tune to how culture views Christianity, that's where it's heading. All right? And in light of this culture, making a good impression is so important. And the aim of good conduct, that is living wisely, is not to get people to like us, but to help people and win them to God. And so as disciples of Jesus, we must endeavor to flesh out the gospel message by the way we live. And this is because the silent force of righteous living can speak loudly. And the most productive evangelists are Christians who enter the daily mix of life and live their faith, said David Garland. It's important for us to flesh out the gospel in our lives. And the goal of living in a way that expresses good conduct is not so that people may like us. It's not so that people may think we're awesome. But so that we can win them to Christ. But if you're like me... You've blown it several times, all right? You've not been consistent in being awesome, (laughs) being an awesome follower of Jesus. You've got angry at work, and you've got stressed, and you've said things that you shouldn't say, 
And so you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I just have not been fleshing out the gospel. I have not been reflecting Christ in my life. And when I think that, what helps me with that is that being a Christian and living um, a righteous life also means asking for forgiveness when we've blown it. It also means seeking peace with someone we're in conflict with, right? And so imagine doing or saying something to someone who's not a Christian and then thinking, gosh, I've blown it. I've not been a good witness of Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh, I'm so bad. You know, all of that, rather than wallowing in our uh, um, condemnation and just feeling guilt, think, think that also being a Christian is pursuing peace and pursuing reconciliation, and even apologizing. Yeah, I have to do that at home with my kids all the time. You know, it's just funny, like trying to explain to a four-year-old that what you did and what you said and how you said it wasn't the best thing and wasn't a good thing. It's just kind of confusing, but, you know, <laughs> I just hope, you know, it's just one of those things. But we always have an opportunity to live out and reflect Christ in every situation. In this passage, we're not only urged to live wisely among those who are not believers, but we're also encouraged to make the best use of time. Best use of time. Um, this metaphor, or the idea of buying up the time, um, can be likened to that whole idea of an investor seeing an opportunity and going for it. Or those that um, um, camp outside you know, for Black Friday deals and they try and get in before everyone to get the best deals, right? That whole idea of us making the best use of our time means seizing the opportunity, when given to us to communicate our faith and to share um, about Jesus to other people. And so, in light of everything we've seen, this is what I want you guys to take away. Time is short. Eternity is real. Because of this, effective evangelism requires a sense of urgency. Let me say that again. Time is short, people. I still remember when I was 17 and I was awesome at soccer and I could run many, 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 many hours on the pit. I'm 35. Time is short. Right before I know it, I'm going to be 50 and 60, and I'm going to be, you know, time is short. Jesus is actually going to be coming back. Do we believe that? And in light of that, let's also remember that eternity is real. Eternity is absolutely real. When people die, when we die, we're going to enter into eternity. And the Bible absolutely says that there's going to be two options. Some people are going to be judged. We're all going to be judged. And depending on the kind of relationship we have with Jesus, we're going to go to heaven, right? Spend eternity with God and in being wild by God and knowing God more and more. 
or we're going to be spending eternity in a place described as a place where you will absolutely encounter and experience the most horrific experiences, and that is hell. Time is short. Eternity is real. And by God's grace, we've been saved. By God's mercies, we have eternal life and we have a relationship with God now. We have something so valuable. We have the most valuable gift any human being can ever have. And that is Jesus Christ. And God calls us. He does to go out and be his disciples and pray for wisdom and courage to see the people around us that he's put around us. Recognize that the people that are within your social network, right? The people you're in, a, not digital social network, I'm talking about physical, real life social network, they're not there by coincidence. God has specifically placed you in their lives so that you may pray and plead with God so that they may come to know Jesus. This is why we're here. And I was just convicted several weeks ago and I was convicted because I was realizing that I was becoming really comfortable, right, with people around me that are not saved. I was comfortable. I was have good time. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the type of guy that, that I just can have a great relationship with everyone. You know, just ask my wife. Like, no matter who you are in society, I can get on with them. And I was realizing that, yeah, I was having a good time with people and I was getting on with people, but I was becoming just comfortable with the fact that they're not saved. And then I started praying, and I was like, man, like, we need to be uncomfortable with the fact that people around us are not saved. And that uncomfortability should lead us to absolutely praying for them. Do we care? Do we love them? And if we care and we love them, we will be so consumed with the fact that they're not saved. And we will pray and we will seek every opportunity to see that they are saved. Jesus Christ, every human being, the greatest need that they have is Jesus Christ. There are so many people around us who are seeking to find joy and satisfaction in created things. When the creator is saying, I exist. I am here. And you will find joy and gladness and satisfaction and delight in me and you can have access to me we can have a relationships but you've got to recognize that jesus christ is not only king of the world but you've got to acknowledge him as king of your life and that is why we're here and this is what this passage is urging us to do it's urging us to prioritize prayer to pray for opportunities, to be prepared to suffer for our faith, to live wisely and speak graciously. And we're to speak graciously because we have been recipients of grace. And if, we, if we've been recipients of grace, 
we will naturally share grace with each other. And so know that if you really love your friends and family, if you really care for them, pray that God gives you compassion and a strong and unwavering desire to see them saved. And as you pursue and seek to see them, pray, pray for wisdom. Pray that you may live wisely. Pray that you may be gracious and kind and compassionate as you pursue God for their salvation. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this time. You are our king. And we recognize every day that you are the only one that can transfer someone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your glorious son, Jesus the King. And so, Father, we pray now that you would give us many opportunities to witness you seek and save those you've put around us. You can do it. We believe. We believe in your power. We believe in the power of your word and in your Holy Spirit. And so right now, may you inspire us to grow in our love for you. And the more we grow in our love for you, the more we'll seek for others to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So before we get into um, our singing, standing up and singing, we're going to spend a few minutes um, we like to call reflective time. And this is a time where you can reflect on the sermon. You can read a passage. But this is what I want you to, uh, I want to urge you guys to do. I want you guys to pray, right? Make a list. Think of three, four, five people that you know, family, friends, co-workers, gym members, whatever, that are not saved and pray for them. And pray for your heart that you may grow to love Jesus, man, like, and know him more. Because that's the starting place. That's the first step to us having a strong and unwavering desire to see other people saved. Love you guys. Thank you.